Today's reading is Luke 2, 22-40. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then had been a widow for 84 years. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom the grace of God was on him. The word of the Lord. Heavenly God, God of grace, we listen for your voice in these words. We listen for your voice in our lives. We listen for your voice in the events of our day. And often, we have trouble parsing out your words over against all the noise. We ask now that you would quiet our hearts, that you would settle the noise, that you would calm down our fears and our anxieties, in the many places our minds, our hearts want to go. And with your power, you would speak to us words of grace that we so desperately need. Like wanderers in a desert searching for a well of living water, may it be that we find it now through your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe some of you know what it's like to get a puppy in your household. We got ours um, a few days before Christmas in the Holland house. And there is the, there is sort of what you imagine, you know, and then there's reality when it comes to having a puppy in your house. And maybe um, 
maybe some of you will put in the chat thread, you know, imagination versus reality kinds of contrasts if you've been there. One of the one of the verses actually in our passage today, I thought if you just tweak it a tiny bit, speaks really well of of our experience in our house. Um, see chapter two of Luke, verse thirty four. This child, and I'll just change it. This puppy is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in the Holland house. <laughs> um. That's actually an important verse in this passage. And as we look at this, let me just kind of summarize where this brief message is going. We, like Mary and Joseph, we are told that Jesus and his arrival is a very big deal. We are given clues as to what this will all mean, and yet we are not told everything. There's a lot that is left unexplained. And so we, like Mary and Joseph, have to decide if we, on limited data, will do what Mary does and treasure the arrival of Jesus in our hearts. Maybe you see that um, those words at the end, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Luke is not into conservative subtleties and just giving mild hints as he tries to make a big deal about the arrival of Jesus and the cosmic nature of the importance of what's happening. In fact, what he does is he gives us a feeling throughout these first couple of chapters as if he's pulling out all the stops. And in this passage in particular, especially for first century Jews, he's giving a barrage of the impossible, impossible characters, impossible announcements, unbelievable coincidences, and impossible claims. This text is a showering. This, this text, as we get into the latter part of chapter 2, is a showering of insider terms for first century Jews when it comes to the meaning of all of this. There's places, there's names mentioned, there's cities mentioned, there's towns, there's tribes, there's rituals that are referred to and pointed to. There's the law of Moses that's pointed to several times. Bam, 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 bam. All these insider terms of importance and identifiers for the, the grandiose nature of what's happening. And then the arrival of Jesus is said to be really four different big things. It's said to be the consolation of Israel. It's said to be the redemption of Israel. It's said to be the glory of Jerusalem. And the arrival of this child is said to be the falling and rising of many in Israel. Perhaps Mary and Joseph imagined that after the shepherds left the manger side, that they could go a little bit incognito for a while and fly under the radar. And as they arrive at the temple for this important ceremonial rite of passage for Jesus, there, there is no such thing as flying under the radar. Nothing could be further from the truth of what they experience. It's just as, as huge as the angels and the shepherds, even more so, as all of a sudden these, these two 
ancient, unrelated, unconnected, old, wise, sage type gurus come in and begin shouting out prophetic type words and declaring to anyone who will listen exactly what the arrival of this child means. And so, friends, step one of Christ's arrival, according to this passage, is to allow the claims and the declarations to wash over us. Listen yourself to how God might be nudging you, how God might be inviting you this morning. Be curious and listen to how the Holy Spirit might be asking you, pleading with you, maybe rebuking you in some way, or maybe seducing you in some way to, 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 to open yourself up to the largeness of this in some specific way. The cosmic nature of Christ. Just read uh, Colossians chapter 1, perhaps, if you want to get into how cosmic the arrival of Jesus is. Or read through Luke 1 through 3 to grasp all of this in one sitting. Or listen again to some of the amazing words of songs like Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, and other Christmas favorites. Are you opening yourself up to the huge implications of the arrival of Jesus? And then secondly, and only secondly, only built on that foundation, only if you're beginning to open yourself up to the bigness of this, is the second stage of this, is to listen carefully for the unexpected. Because amidst all of the angelic pomp and circumstance that we find in Luke, there's also these other hints, these morsels dropped into this picture for Mary and Joseph to consider for us to consider as we read it. Words like the falling and rising of many in Israel. What does that mean? That doesn't sound like what we might predict or expect. Or the fact that as we read this, we see that Jesus arrives as one who is going to be glorious and big and amazing and bring redemption, that he comes from a very poor family, a peasant family who can only afford the the bare minimum sacrifice of a couple of birds. Or the fact that the most chilling words of all that Mary has to hear, that a sword will pierce her soul as well with the arrival of this child. Open yourself up to the flood of declarations about what this means and the glory of it all. And then also consider that as we well know that the, the saving path taken by Jesus was not endorsed by any of the Israelite experts of his day. There would be unexpected. And in fact, the grand meaning and the grand dynamism and explosiveness of what Jesus means for our world would come only in how he takes the unexpected path which means it's the lowly path, which means it's the path of sacrifice. It's not the path of power. It's not the path of control. It's basically the opposite of how all of us constantly think about greatness in our world today. The opposite of 
all the trappings that you and I automatically assume go along with someone being great and glorious in our wor world today. And his own followers struggled with this all the way to the bitter end, even as we find him talking to them after his resurrection in Luke chapter 24. So if you go all the way to the end of Luke's gospel, he's needing to say to these followers who were so close to him on the journey all the way through and saw him in action and knew that he was great. And yet still the unexpectedness of it needed to be drilled into them. As Jesus says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. Still after years of walking the path as a Christian, I can tell you that I still prefer to think about how Jesus might offer support to my hopes rather than how he might want to completely shift and uproot the hopes that I go towards. And maybe that's true of you as you expect certain things for the arrival of Jesus. Maybe you expect that the arrival of the Messiah is going to mean that you finally can find the spouse on the timeline that you've determined or finally conceive of a child yourself or Maybe the arrival of Jesus is supposed to mean for you that you won't struggle with depression or that you won't get cancer. Or maybe for you, the arrival of Jesus is supposed to mean that a political party is supposed to gain power or a country is supposed to come out on top. This is the kinds of things, the kind of health and wealth expectations that are common. That the arrival of Jesus means I'm financially blessed or emotionally blessed or physical attractiveness blessed or relationally de uh, blessed or uh, emotionally blessed or, you know, psychologically blessed, occupationally blessed. And God isn't interested in feeding into any of those false hopes. And in fact, what he does want is he wants you to wake up in the morning and turn from all of those hopes and to anchor your hopes instead on the path that Jesus does take, on the unexpected path that he does take, because he takes it to give you hope and to be your hope. He takes the unexpected path as your only hope, as your consolation, your redemption, and your glory. And so we sit here like Mary and Joseph, and we are told that Jesus is a big deal, but we're not given uh, a whole lot of information about what that exactly will mean for us. And so today, like Mary, we have to sit and decide, sit with the bigness and the predictions of the bigness of Jesus, and yet decide on limited data. Will you treasure the arrival of Jesus in your heart each day? Let's pray. Heavenly God, with your grace, 
crack open for us the ability to have the faith that Mary had. Open for us the ability to lean into what we don't want to lean into. And to let the bigness of Jesus, your son, wash over us, not just in the ways that we want to be washed, but in all the other ways as well. Give us the courage and ability to let you be our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.